Good morning. Welcome to all of you who are gathered here in the sanctuary and those gathering with us at home. Grateful that you're here. I've been asked a number of times, what is the hardest thing that I have had to deal with over this last year? And um, this probably isn't true for you necessarily, but uh, probably one of the most challenging things for me is folks that I know of who have uh, passed away in this last year. Friends and family members, others who have gone, it just feels like it gets uh, almost every week, every day sometimes, it feels like we hear about another case, another situation. Uh, as a pastor, I have had the privilege of being at the deathbed of a number of people. And I have to tell you, last words are impactful. They're not always pithy or funny or even awe-inspiring, but they matter a lot to the family. I can remember back, uh, my father in 1996 was drawing near the end of his life and he couldn't sleep much at night because the cancer and the pain of the cancer was just so much, so he would sit up through the night. And so I would sit up all night long with my dad so that my mom could sleep during the night and then she would be up during the day. And I can remember on one particular occasion, uh, I must have dozed off because I was awakened to hear my dad talking. And so I said, Dad, I'm sorry I didn't hear you. What did you say? And he said something like this. You know, I really am proud of you. I'm, I'm sorry I never let you be a boy, but I needed a man to help me on the farm. But I want you to know I really do love you and I'm proud of you. Well, that might not seem like much to you, but for me at the time, that was... Uh, probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever received from my dad, not having received a whole lot. And so he, he didn't say a lot. But what he said that evening meant something to me. It was immense. What we're doing over these few weeks leading up towards Easter is we're looking at some other last words that were spoken. And we're calling it the famous last words of Jesus, the seven last words that Christ spoke upon the cross. Last week we looked at, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, a word of forgiveness that every one of us needs in our lives. Today I want to look at another word. It's found in Luke chapter 23, if you want to turn there, Luke 23. I wonder, how, how many of you guys, by the way, how many of you still actually use a paper copy of the Bible? Any of you? A few of you, okay. I just wondered because I know things are changing and so many are using their phones and other technological issues but Luke 23 and verse 39 Luke 23:39 says this Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying if you are the Christ save yourself and us but the other answering rebuked him saying do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today 
you will be with me in paradise. As a teenager, I can remember attending a really good church up in Italy, Naples, New York, for which I will forever be grateful. And Sunday after Sunday, our pastor, Glenn Bloom, and a shout out to Glenn Bloom, uh, Glenn Bloom would preach a great sermon. And every single, I can never remember one time when which at the end of his sermon, he did not give an altar call for people who wanted to get saved. And I have to tell you, every single Sunday, there would be people who would flock to the altar. But here's one thing I noticed. It seemed like the same people came to the altar Sunday after Sunday. And I was one of them. And part of the reason why we came forward again and again is because I wasn't sure that what I had prayed the week before held me strong enough, especially through a week in which I didn't always perform very well. I didn't know if the sinner's prayer I had prayed the previous week held me against the sin I had committed during the week. And so we would come to the altar again and again, not sure of our salvation. So today, what I want us to look at is what it means to have assurance of salvation. I've walked with Jesus for over 50 years now or so, and I've come to the realization that many people seem to believe that nothing is for sure. Nothing in life is certain. Uh, And that's even though there are things that they say you can't know for sure, but the Bible over 370 times just in the New Testament says that there are things that we should be sure of. Some things we should know. It says things like this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Or Paul says in Ephesians, one of my favorite passages, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of His calling. In other words, what I want you to get is there are some things in life, if you're going to have an assurance of salvation, there are some things in life you just have to know. You have to believe it with a certainty. You have to lay hold of it by faith. So what I want to talk to you this morning about are five things that I saw in the passage that we read. Five things that that criminal knew that gained him assurance of salvation and five things we must know. So I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can, but I want you to pay attention to them. Number one, I must know that I will face God after I die. Let me say it again, because I don't think some people get it. If I could boil it down simply, it is this. I have to know there's a God. Faith means believing that He's a God. He is the God, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's what it means. I must believe that there is a God, and that I will face Him when I die. There are many people, some even within my own family, who believe that once you die, that's the end of the whole game. That's all she wrote. They believe, uh, in fact, I can remember once somebody saying something like, you will become the next generation's compost. That's all it is. You become worm food. And that's the end of it all. They don't believe in any eternity. They don't believe in God. And if you honestly don't believe in God, and you don't believe in eternity, and you believe that when you die, that's the end of it, 
why would you not rail against life? Why would you not mock and curse right up to your dying breath? Because there's no consequences. There's nothing you have to worry about. This guy, though, in the text that I read to you, this guy was a criminal. He had been caught. He had been judged. He had been condemned. He's probably what some people would call a lowlife. He probably wasn't overly smart because who that's really intelligent chooses a life of crime in order to get by. But that's what this guy was known for. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, in other words. But he knew some things. And as he hung upon the cross next to Jesus, he declared some things that he knew. And the first thing he declared is, I know that there's a God and that when I die, I'm going to face him. He says to his uh, criminal friend, don't you fear God? Well, why would you fear God if there is no God? Apparently, he believed there was a God and that he was soon going to meet him along with this other criminal. Back years ago, uh, I don't know how many of you guys remember, Brother George Veach uh, would come and be with us. He was just an amazing man of God. And I don't remember a Sunday that he came to be with us that before he would preach, I can remember him getting up there and starting to preach, and he said, oh, wait, stop, stop. Jonathan Lonneville, come up here. And he would call Jonathan up again and again and again. And he would say the same words to him again and again. He would say the words, you can run, but you can't hide. What he was saying is, it doesn't matter whether you feel like God is here or not, God is here, and you can't run fast enough to get far from God. And then he would speak words of hope and life over Pastor Jonathan. There are some people who believe that they can run from God all their life by how they live and what they do. But I would suggest that you can run, but you can't hide. Uh, death is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of our eternity. It's a beginning of us entering into the eternity in which God himself lives. Um, I trust that you realize that you're going to spend a lot more time in eternity than you are in this life. Um, when I was born, the human lifespan average was 66 years. So just in my brief lifetime, the human lifespan is now averaged at 79 years, just in my lifespan. And if you can stay healthy and free from injury, it's possible that like Jean-Louise Clement, you can live to 122 years. She is the oldest lady, lady who has ever lived, the oldest person, supposedly, who has ever lived that has made it into Guinness Book of World Records, at least. Forget the ones in the Bible, obviously. They didn't believe them. Apparently, they didn't have enough records for them. But I want to suggest to you that 122 years, or what was uh, 969, as I think the oldest age listed in the Bible, 969 years, even that is nothing compared to eternity, where you're going to live billions and billions of years in the presence of God. This man knew something that we need to know, that he was going to die, and when he died, he would meet with God and he would have to give an account of his life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It's appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. It's an appointment you can't cancel and an appointment you won't be late for. Everyone is going to have the same thing. I did some checking this week on Google. 
Uh, Google obviously knows everything, by the way. Uh, between that and Wikipedia, it's the fount of all knowledge, I guess. I checked this week, and I found out that the human mortality rate is 100%. Every one of you sitting in this room right now is going to die. And when you die, you're going to face God. That's the first thing this criminal knew. I'm going to die, and I'm going to face God. The second thing he knew was this. I've sinned against God. I'm a sinner. He said this. He says, we're under judgment, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. Now, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but when I was in school, uh, there are times when I took a test and I wasn't too sure of the content on the test. Any of you guys ever have that experience? Where you took a test and you thought, oh. And one of the things I loved is when the teacher would stand up in front of the class with all the tests in her hands and says, okay, I've got your tests here and they're all graded. And um, apparently I didn't do such a good job teaching you. So because of that, I am going to curve the grades. Do you remember that? Curving meant that that 60 that I got, and by the way, that's very hopeful on my part, that 60 that I got might become a 70 or a 75. I loved it when the teacher would curve the grades. But can I let you in on a secret? God never curves. God is holy and righteous and everything he does is perfect so he never needs to curb any grades. What you have done is what you have done and the penalty is clear. Um, this criminal knew he had broken the law and he knew that there was no curving of that grade, of that judgment. Um, Ezekiel 18 and verse 20 says, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. So the judgment for sin, for wrongdoing, was death. And he knew that's what he deserved. He had broken the law. He could have said, oh, I'm just a thief. That's what Matthew tells us. We only see in this passage that he was a criminal, but Matthew tells us he was a thief. He said, I was only a thief. I'm not a murderer. But he understood that if you broke one part of the law, as James tells us, you've broken the law in its entirety. You're a lawbreaker, and he deserved death. So the second thing he knew was, I'm a sinner, I've sinned against God. The third thing is, Jesus is no ordinary man. He's God incarnate. He said, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He doesn't say Jesus isn't as bad as we are. That would be grading on the curve. He said, Jesus did nothing wrong. The word in the Greek for nothing is udeus. Udeus. O-U-D-E-I-S. Do you know what Udeus literally means? It means nothing, nada, zip, not even one. In other words, what he's saying is, this man is different from us. He's no ordinary man. He's not like anybody else. Everybody else has sinned. Romans 3.23. What's Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man on the earth who does good and who does not sin. So here is Jesus, fully human, but this criminal recognized he was so much more. Jesus was born without sin and never sinned as he walked through life. 
But then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him, made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus never did anything wrong. Not even one thing. Not in attitude, not in word, not in deed, not in commission or omission. He never did anything wrong. And yet God in His mercy took all of your sin and all of my sin and He placed it upon Jesus like a coat that had to be wrapped around Him. That's amazing enough as it is. But then the Scripture goes on to say that God took all of Jesus' sinlessness, all of His righteousness, and He put it as a coat upon you. I'm sure that criminal didn't know all of that. He didn't know all the theological implications, but he knew, he recognized there was something different about Jesus. And he knew that he had done no wrong. And that's why this is so important. Leviticus 22.21 says that in order for the sacrifice for sin to be acceptable, it must be perfect. And Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. This holy and perfect God required a holy and perfect sacrifice. And the only one ever to have lived and walked this earth was Jesus Christ. Um, if I asked you, not including Jesus, can you name anybody who has saved all kinds of people's lives? Who has saved the most people's lives in the world other than Jesus? If you were to Google it, you would come up with the name Norman Borlaug. Norman Borlaug. Check it. You Just Google who has saved the most people in the world. Norman Borlaug is the man who developed uh, this, uh, he was an agricultural scientist, he developed high-yield, disease-resistant crops. And around the world, he is touted as being a man who has saved over one billion lives with wheat that can actually feed the hungry and not die from disease. Here's an interesting thing, though. Even though Norman Burlog is said, is touted to have saved a million lives, billion lives, I'm sorry, he never claimed to be the Savior of the world. Why? Because he wasn't perfect. He could not say, I've never done anything wrong. In fact, Norman Burlog was a godly man who as a teenager accepted Christ as his Savior and lived his whole life with the awareness of God in his life. He died about 25 years ago, I think it was. I think he died in 95. Maybe I could be wrong on that, but I think that's about when he died. But he had given his life to the only perfect sacrifice, the Savior, who had never sinned, Jesus Christ. This robber knew the same thing. He knew that if he was going to face God, he needed a Savior who was different. And he recognized something in Jesus that was different. Which brings me to point number four. Only God can save me. He needed grace and mercy. He knew he wasn't going to make it on his own effort. He knew that he was hanging it upon a cross and it was too late for him. And even if it was too, not too late for him, there was no point in time, no point in his whole life when he could have done enough good to become perfect somehow. Your good never will outweigh your bad. And he knew that. He knew, he knew that he needed somebody. And in verse 42, he says simply this, Remember me. He knew he needed an advocate. He needed somebody as his defense attorney who could plead his case. And he said simply, remember me. He knew he didn't deserve mercy. He knew it was too late for him. 
but he still had within his heart a desire. A desire that somehow this man, who was different than any other man who had ever lived on the earth, would do something for him that he could not do for himself. He doesn't say, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm better than this other criminal. That would be like bargaining and bartering. He knew that was useless. That wouldn't gain him anything. He's hanging on the cross with no hope except for Jesus. So in those final moments, he says two simple words. Remember me. I was raised, as I told you, in this church. Uh, when my family started going to church, we started going to Italy Naples Baptist Church, a very, very good church. But every single service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth group, every single meeting we ever had, I can guarantee at the end of the service there was a call for salvation and the sinner's prayer would be repeated. And by the way, the sinner's prayer had to be read in a very specific way. You had to contain certain words. But isn't it interesting that this criminal hanging upon the cross didn't pray the sinner's prayer? There are people today who still believe you're not saved unless you've said the sinner's prayer. But I think there are a whole lot of people who have said the sinner's prayer who I wonder if they are saved because they lended no faith to it, no belief, and I'm still looking for fruit in their lives. This man said, remember me. And just those two simple words means that today, this very moment, this criminal is living in the eternal presence of a good God. That's the joy that we have in knowing it. No long prayer, no big theological terms. If you want assurance, though, you have to believe that Jesus isn't like anybody else and that Jesus will actually hear you. He will hear your cry, even if it's as simple as remember me. And I'm not saying let's make remember me another formula like the sinner's prayer. I'm saying it's the cry of the heart that matters. As I get older and older, I am more and more convinced that we have made things more complicated than what they need to be. This guy never said the sinner's prayer. He never tithed. He never joined the church. Uh, he never got baptized. He just said, remember me. And I think there's a whole lot of people. My grandma, uh, Whitaker, was a Jehovah's Witness. When my grandpa died, the Jehovah's Witnesses were the first people to come and visit her. She appreciated it. She became a Jehovah's Witnesses, and she hung out with them for the rest of her life until she died late in her 90s. And yet I can still remember talking to my grandma, and she say to me very clearly, because, you know, again, I'm a pastor. I want to make sure where grandma's going. So I tell her, you know, grandma, what, what do you think about Jesus? And again, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was born from God. He was a human being. He was not God. But I would say, Grandma, what do you believe about Jesus? And she says, well, I, I believe he's God. I said, you believe Jesus is God? Yes, I believe he's God and that he's coming back for us. I said, you believe he's coming back for us, not Jehovah. Well, no, the Bible says Jesus is coming back. I said, well, what about your own salvation? She goes, well, I believe that Jesus will save me because I've asked him to. And I thought, it doesn't matter where you're hanging out. I don't care. There are people in this building who think that if you're Catholic, you must be from the devil. I don't care what church you hang out in. I really don't. What I do care about is that you actually believe in Jesus. You put your trust in him because that's what this criminal did. He simply said, remember me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. The assurance of salvation doesn't come from your performance. It will never come from your performance. It comes 
from trusting Jesus and believing what he has said. We used to sing a hymn here years ago, and it went like this. I'm just going to read the words to you. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. And I love this line. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. In other words, God did so much for you that it far exceeds anything you could have ever done wrong. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. That's what God has done for us, and that's what this criminal knew. He knew he needed grace and mercy. He didn't deserve it. He says, I am getting the just desserts for what I've done. But will you remember me anyways? And the fifth thing that he knew, you have to know that Jesus will save you if you ask. And this has everything to do with trust. He asks, he says, remember me. And Jesus says, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Do you believe Jesus when he says today, today, that if you were to die today, you would be in his presence? For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, assurance doesn't come because your feelings are okay. I don't know about you, but I have learned that feelings come and go. Feelings are capricious at best. In fact, feelings can be manipulated. Um, I was just saying to my wife, Karen, uh, a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, I don't know. I enjoy reading. And one of the things, and please, I'm not, recommending this to anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. I enjoy reading spy novels. You know, things from World War II. You know, I, I enjoy that. I really do. And uh, I enjoy reading how they actually manipulated things for D-Day and Norbin. I enjoy that. But as I'm reading these spy novels, it, invariably, there's people in the novels who, because they're spies, they're lying. They have to pretend they're something they're not. They're deceiving people. And I find that as I read this, if I read it for very long at all, I begin to feel inside like I'm guilty of the same thing they're guilty of. I begin to feel guilty and afraid inside that I'm lying. And I put the book down and I have to have a conversation with myself. I have to have a conversation with my feelings. And you can say, well, that, that's kind of dumb, Pastor Chris. But how many of you have ever watched a movie on TV and found yourself tearing up? Found yourself moved with the same feelings that they had on TV? It might have been a tearjerker and you find yourself crying right beside them because feelings are so easily manipulated. I mean, they can be manipulated by the bad burrito you got from Taco Bell. It doesn't matter. Feelings come and go. And if you trust in your feelings, you're going to find yourself constantly uncertain about your salvation, about where you're at in life. Years ago, I, I can't remember whether it was um, Bob Mumford or my father-in-law, could have been my father-in-law, I think, talked about a time when somebody was getting married and they had this beautiful wedding ceremony in the church. And as they're coming out and all of their friends are lined up getting ready to throw out whatever they throw out at the bride and groom in that day, um, coming down the sidewalk was this very comely woman who was dressed inappropriately, honestly. And as they're standing out there waiting to make their way to their car, the groom, who's now just got married, looks at this woman walking down the sidewalk. He looks at her, he looks over at his bride, he looks back at her, and he looks at his bride and he says, I don't feel so married right now. And she turns to him and says, Honey, you better align your feelings with the facts. You're married to me, not her. See, feelings 
are tricky things, and they're not always to be trusted. They can actually lead us astray. Rather than trust our feelings, I think it would be far better to trust the word of the God who we're all going to face. Who says, if you say to me today, remember me, I will remember you on that day, and I won't forget you. When you say yes to Jesus, he says, today, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Saying yes to Jesus can be sure of four things really quickly. Number one, salvation is immediate. He says today, today. Not purgatory, by the way. Not soul death. But today, you will be with me. Salvation is also certain. He says you will be. Not you might be, you will be. It's certain. Salvation is also a relationship. Today you will be with me. It's not rituals or religions. It's a relationship with Jesus. I spend quite a bit of time out in the Redemption Center because we're short of an employee right now. But one of the things that I've done is I've talked again and again to the young guys that are in there about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about coming to church. It's not about a religion. It's not about keeping all the rules. It's about a relationship with God himself. And then finally, number four, salvation is forever. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And in Revelation 2.7, it says, heaven is called a paradise. Heaven is the place that is eternal in nature. So our salvation is eternal. That was just a brief encounter for that young criminal who hung upon a cross. But because he put his trust in Jesus, today he lives in the presence of God where he will live for eternity. Listen to these scriptures, if you would. In fact, why don't you just kind of close your eyes, bow your head for a minute. I want you to hear these scriptures about the certainty that we can have in God. And part of the reason why I actually wanted to speak this message is that I knew that some of you here today don't live with that certainty. Your trust is in God. Your trust is in a God who hears your cry for him. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? God is not a man that he would lie. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you hear lies in your ears that make you wonder, you have to know it's not from God. His is sure. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and will present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Now with your heads just kept bowed, I recognize that for some of you, you struggle. You struggle in this arena with an assurance of your salvation. You struggle with knowing whether or not it's real. Have I just made this all up in my mind? Well, I would rather go to my grave believing in the goodness of God 
and find myself meeting him and saying, I, I just was never sure. I choose to believe his word. I choose to believe his promise. I choose to believe his spirit that bears witness inside. I choose to believe that a life that is changing isn't done so that I can earn my way in, but it's a reflection of what he's doing in me, preparing me for that. Maybe you're one of those today who have struggled. Now, I, I want to just encourage you. Put your hope in God. Not in your feelings, not in your intellect, but in God himself. And if you're not sure, today would be a great day to just say simply, Jesus, remember me. Today would be a great day to not only say that, but to maybe make a note to yourself. Put it in your calendar that's a repeating event. Put it in the front of your Bible. On this day, on February 14th, on Valentine's Day, 2021, I committed my life to God and to his care. I cried out to God, and I know he heard me. Today would be a great day. On this day that we celebrate love, to celebrate the love of God that he's poured out on us. Father, if there be any here today who are unsure, who perhaps have come to church many times, but they're just not certain in themselves. Maybe they've even said the sinner's prayer, but then their life seems to go haywire. Lord, I pray that today they would have seen in this occasion upon the cross, in the last words of our Savior, they would have seen and heard that his salvation is a sure thing. He said, assuredly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Lord, let that dawn upon their hearts and their minds. Let it become for them like a revelation that grips their heart that I am saved because God said it. God did it. I'm held by him. And Jesus himself said, no one, no one can pluck you from my Father's hand. Lord, let this be a day of celebration for those here today who are struggling, who say today, I have put my hope and my trust in Jesus. I believe in the grace and the mercy of God, that he is different than everyone else, that the price has fully been paid by his death upon the cross, that my sins are forgiven and that they are washed away. And not only that, but that I have all of the righteousness of Christ in me. I am his, and I will be his for eternity. And then, Lord, let us walk our lives with that kind of assurance. Lord, not that there aren't times when we need to recommit ourselves to something in you, but, Lord, let us walk with the assurance of our eternal salvation. And speak of it to many around us. That we can declare the goodness of God to those with whom we come in contact. Lord, let your word resound in our hearts. Let it go again and again. Remember me. Assuredly. This day. Remember me. Assuredly. That you heard and you responded. 
and you will for us as well. I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great rest of your Valentine's Day. Uh, The ushers are going to come and dismiss you in a somewhat orderly fashion. And again, if you choose to stay and talk, that's fine. Just keep your masks on, I guess.